How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long, O Lord, will you hide your face from me? How long, O Lord, do I have to take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart? How long, O Lord, shall my enemies exalt over me? I just quoted from the 13th Psalm, a psalm known as a psalm of lament. Write that word down for your learning, L-A-M-E-N-T. This word can be confused with a few other religious words, but this word I want us to focus on today and over the next few weeks. Inspired by the Psalms, um, impacted by the current crisis that we're in, indebted to a writer, a scholar named N.T. Wright, I wanna lead us as a faith family to consider this word, lament. L-A-M-E-N-T, lament. I wanna define lament as a deep, heartfelt, expression of pain, brokenness, and sadness. Lament is the largest section of the Psalms, but it's the least sung in our churches. The Psalms give us four forms of lament. The first is a fear of enemies. The second is anxiety over trouble, being trapped. The third is uh, being inflicted with an illness. And the fourth is the reality of death. So four forms of lament in the Psalms. The fear of death, anxiety about being in trouble or being trapped, uh, and being anxious about uh, infliction or infirmity or some type of sickness or disease, and then the reality of death. When the psalmist writes, he pens these words of lament um, in all the Psalms of lament, There's this reality of fear of enemies. The enemy of many times over is someone, someone seeking to do them harm, to maybe even take their very life. It could also be emotional torment. Uh, The laments and the Psalms, when it it talks about the anxiety of being trapped, it's very physical, very very, um, strong in its vivid imagery of being trapped or being drowned in the mud and the mire and the pit and the clay, of needing needing to be lifted up. And of course, the fear of sickness, disease, and death is also one of the laments. And then fourth, the reversal or the, 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 the idea of, of death, of the reality of death. There's a word of lament in the Psalm, Sheol. This word has a variety of meanings, but specifically it refers to the grave, to death. In other words, you can be so low, you can be living, but be so low that you're at the point of death. A lament is a deep, heartfelt, honest expression of pain, brokenness, and sadness. And though it comes in many forms, it manifests itself in a cry for help. When we say, I need you. When we say, Father, I need you. I need you every hour. I need you in this hour. I need you in this situation, in this circumstance that I'm in. I want us today to think about lament as proof of relationship. When our children were younger, they would many times on the weekends, particularly on Saturdays, the non-work day around our house, they would come and just bound into our room and jump into the bed. They wanted time with their parents. They wanted fun. They wanted breakfast. And they would come to us. And here's what they never did when they were young. They never went outside. They never went to a neighbor's house to talk to the neighbor about their need. They came to us and though there are times when we were tempted to not be happy with it 
what it did is it authenticated the relationship. It said that they're ours and we're theirs, that there's a relationship there, that we love each other and we are there to help meet their needs. A tragic reversal of this scenario is depicted by a writer and scholar named Russell Moore in his book, Adopted for Life. He tells the story of he and his wife traveling to a Russian orphanage. It was eerie. It was eerie that there was no screams and no cries from the nursery. And he writes a tragic truth that these babies were not crying because they didn't have a need. They had learned that they they would not cry out because no one was there to hear their cry. You see lament, this deep, heartfelt, honest expression of pain, sadness, brokenness. It's a cry for help. And it's a proof of the relationship that we have one who hears us. Would you sing with us today as we express this need? God, I need you every hour.
How long? How long? Four times in the first two verses of the 13th Psalm of Lament, the writer asks the question, how long? It's a question we've all asked. It's a question many of us are asking right now about something down deep. When you ask the question, how long, you either need one of two things. You need deliverance. You need some type of rescue, some type of relief. You need deliverance or you need patience. One of the things I love about the Bible's wisdom literature, it says that we can go to the small things of the earth, the small things of God's created order, and we can learn big lessons. Consider uh, the lesson we can learn from one of God's creatures, an oyster. An oyster will get a grain of sand lodged in itself, and most of the time, it can do what it takes to expel this grain of sand. But there are times, one to two percent of the time, when it can't expel the grain of sand. It's sort of stuck in this situation. It's in a situation that it can't get out of. It's in a circumstance that it cannot control. It's irritated, it's frustrated, it's exacerbated. But it's almost like the little oyster says, you know what, I can't get out of this. I'll just make the best of it. In a remarkable feat of nature, this oyster will release a liquid substance over and over again, targeting this grain of sand stuck in itself. And over time, it produces something. This grain of sand stuck in this oyster gets covered with this coat of liquid over and over again, and it produces something that we pay top dollar for. What am I talking about? I'm talking about a pearl. A pearl is the fruit of a frustrated oyster. Ladies, every time you go and put on those pearls that you wear, that's the product of somebody else's bad day. Because that oyster was irritated and frustrated and exacerbated, because it was in a situation that it couldn't get out of, it was in a circumstance that it couldn't control, it produced something out of that. There's a lesson for us in this small universe, a lesson for us that could be big in our very own lives. You know, we, we don't like the process, but we love the destination. Somebody said that in God's kitchen, there are no microwaves, there are only crockpots. Oh, we love the destination, but it's the process that can be so difficult for us. And maybe today that's some of you in a process where you're answering or asking how long and you're not hearing the answer. Here's the great thing about scripture, what it says about us. It says that in Psalm 139, not a Psalm of lament, but it says that we're fearfully and wonderfully made. Ephesians 2 tells us that we are his workmanship. Jesus himself in the gospel of Matthew, Matthew 13, tells a parable about a pearl, about a pearl of great price. God creates us to be pearls, to be workmanship, to be fearfully and wonderfully made. We are his pearls and we can say amen to that. We can shout an amen. We can break out the Hammond B3 organ and go Pentecostal and jump and shout and say, yes, we are pearls. God desires to make something out of us, but it's the process that we don't want. We want the microwave and not the crock pot. But God chooses things we don't want in our lives to shape us into who he is. 
The call for us is to go to him. The call of lament, this ancient practice that we've, we've lost the way of it. We're not sure how to lean into it and learn from it and make it a part of our lives. This practice of lament is when we, we call out, we say, I need thee every hour, and we run to a father who has something for us, who wants to produce something deep in us. We run to this father.
heart that questions, a heart that laments. How long? How long? It's a heart that needs deliverance, a life that needs to develop patience. Jesus' half-brother would write about this at one point. In James chapter 5, verses 7 to 11. James 5, 7 to 11. Would you look at that with me this morning? Two, three, one. Take this off. I'm going to read this while it's on the screen. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be a patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate, and how he is merciful. Here James gives us the instructions. How long, how long, be patient. Be patient for the work of God to take its course. Be steadfast. For those of you new to the Bible or to Christianity, James is in the New Testament. The Psalms are in the Old. And James is in the New Testament section of Scripture, particularly in a genre known as the epistles. The lion's share of the epistles were written by a name by a man named Paul. And James writes this one. If you were to ask what's the difference between Paul's epistles and James, Greek scholars tell us that James has an unusually high number of imperatives. In other words, he's given some pretty crisp, clear commands. Not suggestions. Not tweetable advice if you want to take it. Not this might be commendable, but he's actually... It's imperative. He's actually directive. He's grabbing us by the collar and he's pulling us close and he's looking us in the face and he's saying, be patient. James was like that. He starts out his epistle by saying, count it all joy. And here he says, be patient. This two words in our English language, be patient, is from one Greek word. It's the word macrothumus. This is as deep as we'll get this morning, but macrothumus is this Greek word, one word. And the prefix macro there means long. And the root of that, uh, thumos, it means thermometer. It's where we get our word thermometer. It means heat. It means an instrument that gauges or measures heat. In other words, heat meaning anger. So when we are most prone to anger, even in the most difficult of situations, when we clench our fist and we look up and we don't know what is next, James, with the imperative, is grabbing us by the collar and saying, be patient. He would repeat it later in this same small stretch of scripture, be steadfast, same idea in the original Greek language. Let us be patient. And here's what I've learned of all my years of living is that patience is not developed in cushioned pews in an air-conditioned sanctuary as much as I love these pews and their cushions and our new air condition and this sanctuary this is not the place where it's developed it's developed in the crucible of life 
when it gets very hard. So what does patience look like? We probably have a variety of answers, but James himself tells us patience is like a farmer. Think about a farmer. A farmer does not go into a barren field right before harvest, look down at this at the ground and then look up to his God and say, okay, God, I name it and claim it in the name of Jesus. Let there be corn right now. What does a farmer do? A farmer plows and plows and plows. A farmer sows and sows and sows. And a farmer lives with the one guided principle, the one fundamental principle. Unless the Lord brings the rain, I labor in vain. God, I'm going to do my part, but I trust that you'll do your part. When I was a young man, in the most difficult season of my life at that time, someone explained to me that waiting on God, that developing patience, that crying out how long, it's not, it's not passive resignation. It's active participation. And that's what we see in the life of a farmer. And that's what we're called to do when we're waiting and when we're developing patience, when God is developing patience in us and our hearts cry out and lament. We are to actively participation, actively participate with him. It's what we're doing while we're waiting and while he's developing patience with us. And so James says, be patient, go to the farmer and learn and oh by the way while you're being patient in the hardest part of life do not grumble do not grumble now what's the difference between a lament or a complaint or a grumble I remember when I was in college I scored a date with a girl that I really wanted to go out with and we were out together and all she did was complain and complain and grumble and complain. And it just wasn't a date that I wanted to do again. Who wants to be with anybody who complains and complains? You see, a complaint, a complaint is an accusation that maligns the character of God. A complaint is an accusation that maligns the character of God. But a lament is an appeal to God based on the goodness of his character. We are not to give ourselves over to passive resignation. We're to actively participate with God in the hardest moments of our lives. And as we're going to talk about in the next couple of weeks, lament is not about us getting things that we want in our lives. In fact, it's about moving away from so much about ourselves and to think about the world we live in, to cry out for the global world that God has made and the need for justice and mercy and compassion in this world and being a part of it. We cry out to God. We do not grumble. We do not complain. We do not bring an accusation against God that maligns his character. We lament. We make an appeal to God based on the goodness of his character. A lament is a deep, honest, heartfelt expression of pain, brokenness, and sadness. The, the 13th Psalm, in this particular Psalm of Lament, he asks, how long, how long, how long? 
Like many of the laments, you can see a pattern to them in the Psalms where uh, I heard somebody once say that they start on their face. They're just in pain and they're crying out and then they go to their knees. They begin to really bring it to the Lord as if faith is growing up in them. And then by the end, they're on their feet. There's something to even dance about. They wouldn't have thought that at the beginning of the lament. But toward the end, they believe that God is going to be trustworthy. From their face to their knees to their feet in joyful dancing. At the end of the 13th Psalm, he makes this declaration, I sing to the Lord, for he has dealt bountifully with me. The language of a farmer. He's brought the rain. He has provided for me. I'm not sure how long this is going to take. I don't know what's next. I don't know how long it's going to take. But he has dealt bountifully with me. And so I sing. I sing to him. Join us this morning in this song, this final song, as we sing about his wonderful name, the God who will deal bountifully with us. Death could 